Well, amen. Good to see you here tonight. Please take your Bibles and join me in Daniel. Let's return to our series. Daniel chapter 6. After three weeks already in this chapter, there's too much to recap. Please go back and listen to anything you may have missed. But I want to remind you where we are at contextually, chronologically, before we pick up where we left off in verse 11. Remember that the Medo-Persian Empire conquered the Babylonians in the previous chapter. Darius the Mede is now in charge of the territory that once belonged to Babylon. And there isn't much, much secular history to draw from during this period. And the Bible doesn't say a whole lot uh, either. But it is believed that Darius was installed by Cyrus the Persian while Cyrus went back to Persia to take care of some business there at the capital. Darius, while in charge, sets up 120 princes over the kingdom to help manage the empire and to make sure that his revenue isn't taking a hit. Amen. And so he wants to make sure everything's coming in as it should and to make sure they're not skimming anything off the top. He, he gives three presidents to oversee them. And the number one president is... Daniel. And this is all because the king discerned that Daniel possessed an excellent spirit. And so he, prefer, he preferred him above all the others. And so the king thought to set Daniel over the whole realm, which essentially would make Daniel the prime minister. Uh, what a thought. And this didn't sit right with the other leaders below Daniel's level. And they don't like the fact that a child of the captivity, the Judean captivity, is likely going to be in charge here. And they don't like the fact that he served the living God, the, the only true God. He didn't participate in any of their idolatry. So they conspire against Daniel really without a cause. But they could find nothing against him. And so they concluded if we're going to get anything against Daniel, we, we're going to have to find something contrary uh, with the law of his God, and, and so they proceed to corrupt their government in order to manufacture a situation where Daniel is going to have to choose between following God or following man, and we know who he chose to obey. These leaders had flattered the king to sign a decree where no one could ask a petition of any man, any God, for 30 days, and should any disobey that decree... They would be cast into the den of lions. So being blinded by flatteries, the king signs the decree. And according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, once something is signed into law, it cannot be altered. Well, Daniel knew the law was signed and he didn't, think, he didn't have to think about what to do next. He went to his house. He prayed as he did a four time, windows open, facing towards Jerusalem. He knelt three times a day, prayed and gave thanks before God. And so Daniel knew that his prayer life was going to cost him his life. But he would rather stay in communion with God and be found faithful to God than to allow the wickedness of this world to control his communion with God. And so I hope there's some things you're willing to die for. And this brings us to where we left off. Let's begin tonight. We'll read starting in verse 11 through the end of the chapter. It says, then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree, 
Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these, these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king establisheth may be changed. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste into the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lions' mouths that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceeding glad for him, and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him, because he believed in his God. And the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. The lions had their mastery of them, and break all their bones in pieces, wherever they came at the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever, and his kingdom that which shall and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Amen. So we see in verse 11, Daniel was being watched. Obviously, these men had a very definite reason for why they are watching Daniel. They got this decree signed, and they obviously want to catch him praying, so he's being observed. But the fact of the matter is they had been observing Daniel before this time because they knew he was a man of prayer, and they knew that this was a way to catch him. And so they had already been observing his life, and they knew he prayed to God, and that's why they wanted this corrupt law signed uh, to begin with. And as children of God, we need to understand that we are being watched. Some are watching out of curiosity, some out of envy, some out of contention, and a few are going to be watching you out of hatred. Some are curious what it means to be a child of God. Some are envious of our marriages, our homes, our joy, and our peace. Some are contentious and just want to argue about everything. And then there are those that just flat out hate Christians, and they would take great joy in seeing you fall by the wayside. 
And there are those who are watching you from without, and there are those who are watching you from within. And some have to fight not growing bitter about others observing their life. When you think about it, it's really a great privilege to have others look at you because it is our opportunity to use our life to show forth Christ. And that's how God's designed it, so we shouldn't grow bitter about those things. Um, Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. There's great power in us living for the Lord in, in this world. And did you know our obedience to God's Word and our Lord is one of the ways that God has chosen to make Christ known in this world? John wrote about this in several places. I'll read you one passage. John 17, 21, as Jesus is praying, He says that they all may be one as Thou, Father, art in me and I in Thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that Thou hast sent me. When we become one with the Father and we manifest Christ and we're doing what we ought to be doing, Jesus is making it clear that that's one of the ways the world can believe on Him. What a responsibility. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. When we openly obey the Word of God before the eyes of the world, we are testifying to them that there's a God we serve who is greater than any other earthly authority on, on the earth. Duh, earthly authority. He's greater than any other authority on the earth. Amen. And we're testifying to that, that He is worthy to be served. It shows that we believe Christ was sent from God into the world, or else why do we do these things? Why are you here tonight on a Wednesday night? Right? It is a testimony that we believe something greater than ourselves. And, and we're showing the world that, that there is a power of God to change lives. Because listen, in our natural state, we wouldn't be here tonight. Don't underestimate the effect of your testimony on those around you, whether they're going to openly acknowledge it or not, you're having an impact. Now, only God can see the heart, right? We understand that. But that means man has to look on the outside. And so it's very important how we behave, how we present ourselves, what we allow, what we say, and where we go. I remember someone one time said, I found myself only keeping the standard because I was only doing it because that's what men saw. So they stopped the standard. Well, what's the problem with that? That's a pretty good reason to keep a standard. Because only men can see the outside. Amen. People, oh, God looks on the heart. Well, man looks on the outside, and God wants us to show forth Christ, and so we have to be careful how we come across. 1 Corinthians 8, 9. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. So you might have the liberty to do something others don't, but why did Paul write that? He wrote that because others are watching you. So don't let your liberty become a stumbling block to others. People are watching. Now, I understand we're ultimately accountable to God, and I like that, but in, in certain contexts, I suppose we really shouldn't care what others think, and, and I get that, but we also need to understand people are watching, and so the way we live our lives is being judged by others to see how real we believe our God is and how true His Word is. And in that context, we should care what other people think. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Having your conversation, that's your lifestyle, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, 
that they may by your good works, which they shall behold, they're, they're watching, glorify God in the day of visitation. And it may be years down the road, you may never see it. Um, we'd see this occasionally in the military as you PCS, as you move around and somebody got a dose of it over here at this assignment, a little bit over here, a little bit over there, and next thing you know, one day it all comes together and that person that was living for God in front of them never really got to see it. And so we don't know what the impact's going to be. We just live faithful because that's the right thing to do and we do want to make an impact on those around us. So don't view others observing you as a burden but embrace it. Use it as an opportunity to show others that there is a merciful and gracious God who cares about us. He cares about sinners enough to save them. That's why we serve Him, because we're grateful. Whoop! I'm glad He saved me, and if for nothing else, He's worthy to be served. So we show others the goodness of God. We show them the power of God to transform. We show them God is worthy. We show them His Word is holy and ought to be observed. We show them God is real. We demonstrate by our lives that our God is who they also need to call upon. Amen. You may be thinking, well, that makes for good preaching, but that sure didn't help Daniel any. They hated him anyway. Well, that may be so, but they're in that group who just hate. And haters got to hate. And so there's just going to be those like that, but we're not to the end of the chapter yet. And this is going to have a huge impact. Well, in verse 12, those who wanted Daniel out of the picture, they remind the king like he needed to be reminded that uh, this unchangeable decree was signed. And in verse 13, they go on to tell the king, Daniel disobeyed your law. And notice they bring special attention to that Daniel. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't really kind. They're, they're not being polite and regretful, but they're saying that Daniel, who was of the children of the captivity of Judah, they're not only trying to slight this man's pedigree, but it was also to highlight the God that Daniel was praying to by mentioning he's of the captives of Judah because in those days a nation was identified by their God. And so this was to make it plain. He's praying to Jehovah. And so now this is out. The king has a decision to make. Before this decree was issued, what was Daniel doing wrong? Nothing. Nothing, absolutely nothing. But again, without any cause, hey, they just don't like Daniel. They don't like his God. There's just people like, I'm just trying to, look, just go ahead and, and make that plain in your life. It, there's going to be people that just hate you. Right. Amen. If you don't believe me, be a pastor. They, they just hate you. Amen. Um, Psalm 109, verses 3 and 4, they compassed me about also with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. For my love they are my adversaries, but I give myself unto prayer. Doesn't that describe Daniel? It's amazing how some are so offended at others who practice their faith. I've always been intrigued with how some atheists will fight tooth and nail to silence what they otherwise think is crazy. 
I mean, does that, does that ever puzzle you a little bit? It's like, why do you care if I pray to God? You don't believe that He exists anyway. So just let me be crazy over here. I mean, if they don't believe there's a God, then why get upset at those who believe in God? I mean, I don't get upset that they don't believe in God. I want them to be saved. I've noticed how they haven't yet shown the same animosity towards other religions in public spaces. Where are they at when the satanic temple is erecting their satanic statues on the Capitol grounds? They're silent, which proves we're in a spiritual battle. And we're in a spiritual battle by those who hate the Lord Jesus Christ. I think there's religions in our city who are off their rocker theologically, but I don't want to pass a law to kill them. Nor do I want to say they don't have the freedom to worship. Because once we go down that road and said that president, it's going to backfire against us one day and we won't have that right. And by the way, did you know it was the Baptists who fought for religious freedom here in America? That's a fact. Look it up. After our war of independence, they are the ones who are responsible for the First Amendment, which says in part, Congress shall make no law restricting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And why could Baptists like John Leland and, and others fight for the freedoms of all religions in America? I mean, we're, we're fighting Baptists. We're fighting fundamentalists. Amen. Why would we want religious freedom for all? Wouldn't we want a state church that's Liberty Baptist? No, because we understand when there's equal footing, true Christianity will triumph. This is why the Baptists have flourished more in America than in any other country in this world. That's a fact. We want equal freedoms because we want the freedom to evangelize. We want to see the lost converted to Christ. And that's the problem. If you're plugged in and you're following all the news on this kind of stuff, that's the issue. See, we don't mind you having this over here. Just don't evangelize, proselytize. You can have your little Bible study group, but the problem with your Bible study group is when somebody comes in, you're going to try to convert them to what you are. Yeah, that's what we do. And they say, that's the problem. We don't want that. The world hates how we desire to see people come to Christ to be saved. And, and when I say the world, I don't mean everybody. But, but really, they're being hypocritical. They don't believe in Christ, so why should others be confronted with a decision about Christ? And so, in essence, they want people converted to their point of view, right? Well, I could stay here all night. Let's get back to our text. Notice in verse 13, they mischaracterize Daniel by saying, Daniel regardeth not thee, O king. Now, this wasn't true. Just as Joseph was faithful to his master down in Egypt, so Daniel had been a faithful servant through all of his decades under the Babylonian captivity and now while serving the Medo-Persians. But their intent all along was to try to show how Daniel couldn't be trusted with a position of such authority, hence their wicked plot. And, and they don't point out the exalted positions that he had held before under Nebuchadnezzar, but they try to belittle Daniel and they call him that Daniel. And so they bring attention to his Judean captivity and I'm sure King Darius knew all of this. Um, and, and so, that Daniel, who ought to be grateful that you have spared his life, 
doesn't regard you because he doesn't follow your laws. He doesn't, um, he, he's, he's not obeying this decree. He's praying towards Jerusalem because his heart isn't here in Persia, in Medo-Persia. His heart's not with us, so it's a good thing you sign that law and we can get him cast into the den of lions. Well, in verse 14, the king realizes he's been played for a fool. And look at what he says. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself. He's not sort of pleased with the princes at this point. He's just mad at himself for being so dumb in that moment, being blinded by flatteries and signing this law. And listen, Darius ought to have been suspicious when all 122 of these men say, we're all in agreement. Since when does any governmental body agree on everything 100%? Right there he should have been like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. But anyway, the king... He's been blinded, and he can now see that the the decree that the princes wanted signed in the law had nothing to do with honoring him, but had everything to do with taking Daniel out of the picture. And now he realizes how he had signed this decree hastily without ever considering the consequences. Proverbs 29.20, Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words? There is more hope of a fool than of him knowing he was responsible for condemning Daniel to death by making Daniel choose loyalty to God or the state. The rest of verse 14 tells us how the king set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Now, I really don't understand their system. It it just doesn't make sense to me that you can pass something that can't be changed. And I've wondered why the king just couldn't issue another decree saying, yeah, it applies to everybody but Daniel. I guess maybe that is the definition of altering it. I don't know. Maybe it would just show weakness on the king, king's part or some kind of problem in their government. I don't know. We aren't told what all the king tried, but apparently there's no loopholes available to him. The king can't convince the princes to stop bringing this charge against Daniel, to not follow through with the execution of the law. And in verse 15... The princes essentially pressure the king. They remind him of what he already knew, which if I were Darius, I would be very annoyed. I'd be very frustrated. Stop telling me what I know. And they tell him, No, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute with the king establishes may be changed. Yeah, I know. Shut up. (laughs) At last, the king can find no way to change this Daniel's Fate is now certain. And at the beginning of verse 16, we read, Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. And then the last half of verse 16, Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Well, that's interesting. Daniel is being sentenced to death for praying to his God. And the king basically says, Keep serving your God. In other words, Darius is acknowledging Daniel does not deserve to die. And sometimes I don't get the logic of the lost. And I know I was there once, and so I'm not being like overly critical, but here's a pagan king acknowledging that Daniel's God 
is able to deliver him, and yet he doesn't worship Daniel's God. It, that just doesn't make sense to me. And maybe he's just being polite, <laughs> offering him a little bit of hope, because in verses 18 through 20, it's not going to look like he really believes that his God can deliver him, at least not with all his heart. Well, Daniel is cast into the den of lions, and in verse 17, a stone is placed upon the mouth of the den, so the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. And it was sealed. No one can tamper with this. If they do, it's a serious crime. The stone is placed over the opening. Nobody can give him aid, any kind of weapon or any assistance. And so it would seem all hope was lost. And in this little section, we see a picture of Christ and our salvation. Darius acted without considering the consequences. And we often go against God's law without considering the consequences. Darius tried to find a way around the law, but we see how the letter of the law condemns and kills no matter how hard we may try, there's no getting around God's law. The law must be executed because our God is just. Though Daniel didn't deserve death, the king needed him to fulfill the letter of the law. And though Jesus was sinless and didn't deserve to die, we needed someone to fulfill the letter of God's law for us. And though Daniel didn't die, we needed someone to die for us according to the law of God. We needed someone to go down and face death, die in our place, and then come out from behind the sealed stone alive again. Whoop. And so don't miss this great picture here of how the Lord fulfilled the letter of the law for us. Preacher, do you feel worthy to preach? No, I don't. I stand up here on the merits of Christ. How do, you, how, how do we? How do we go to prayer? How, do we, how, how are we accepted on the merits of Christ? And we needed Him. Well, the king's up all night. He's unable to eat or sleep. He's probably sick to his stomach. He doesn't have any music brought in or anything like that to try to help him sleep. He knows he's responsible for Daniel being in the den of lions. And at dawn's first light, he hurries out to the den to discover Daniel's fate. And in verse 20, we read, And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And, and that just means it was sorrowful. It was regretful. He, he really wished he wouldn't have put Daniel in this position. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? And can you imagine the joy that Darius experienced when Daniel was able to say, What up, king? <laughs> That's my version. He actually didn't say that, but he praises God. And there's probably something here I should have developed more. But the king asked Daniel, is thy God able? And Daniel replies, my God. 
And he says, My God has sent His angel and has shut the lion's mouth. They have not hurt me. And so there's a contrast there. And as we see in verse 23, the king was exceedingly glad. And he commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the lion's den. And as they bring him out, they find that there's no hurt upon him. Not even a scratch, amen. And um, don't miss this last statement in verse 23. Because he believed his God. Daniel maintained his faith in God. How's your faith? How's your faith? Matthew Henry wrote, quote, Those who boldly and cheerfully trust in God to protect them in the way of their duty shall never be made ashamed of their confidence in Him, but shall always find Him a present help, end quote. And don't miss how this great victory in Daniel's life came at a point when it looked hopeless. And we see these situations throughout the Bible. There are times when we're going to be brought into deep valleys. But those are the times when God is able to show Himself strong on our behalf. So we shouldn't fear those moments. You see, we wouldn't exercise our faith unless we were brought into circumstances which are greater than us. We wouldn't know how the Lord fights for us if we were never faced with a battle. We wouldn't know the power of God if we were never brought into times of weakness. We wouldn't know the promises of God if we were never forced to trust in them. And so have faith and trust God. Well, in verse 24, the king has had enough of all those who have conspired against Daniel and they, and along with their families, <laughs> they're cast into the den of lions and they're eaten alive. Psalm 9, 15, and 16, the heathen are sunk down in the pit they made and the net which they hid is their own foot taken. The Lord is known by the judgment which He executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Proverbs eleven eight. The righteous is delivered out of trouble, and the wicked cometh in his stead. And so the word of God is coming to pass here. The trap that they have set is now being used on them. Verses 25 through 27. Sorry, I know I'm rushing tonight. I just really wanted to get through this chapter. In, in verses 25 through 27, Darius does what we've seen before under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. He issues a decree that all are to recognize Daniel's God. It's still not his God. He wants them to recognize Daniel's God as the living God. He wants all to tremble and uh, fear before Daniel's God. And Darius acknowledges that God's kingdom is everlasting. But of course, it never truly works when religious decrees are issued. (laughs) State-sponsored religion never works in the end. Go back to colonial America and you can see how that panned out. And as I already mentioned earlier, it's dangerous. It's even foolish to do so because of the precedent that it would set. And what will end up happening is it becomes nothing more than a political tool. Well, finally, in verse 28, we see another familiar sight. Daniel prospered under the reign of Darius and Cyrus. So Daniel kept his faith. In his faithful God, Daniel honored God and God honored him. And let me end this chapter by quickly pointing out Christ. These leaders hated Daniel and they didn't want Daniel to reign over them. Jesus gave a parable about himself where he says the citizens hated him 
and we will not have this man to reign over us. They conspired against Daniel without a cause, and they conspired against Jesus without a cause. The political leaders could find nothing against Daniel, nor could they find anything against Jesus. They manufactured a crime against Daniel, and they manufactured a crime against Jesus. Daniel was found guilty according to their religious law, and Jesus was found guilty according to the Jews' religious law. John 19, 7, then uh, the Jews answer him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. Darius tried to intervene on behalf of Daniel, and Pilate attempted to intervene on behalf of Jesus. Daniel had to trust in God, and Jesus prayed, Not my will, but thine be done. Daniel descended into the earth, and Jesus was laid in the tomb. The lion's den was covered with a stone and sealed, and so was Jesus' tomb. Daniel was found alive the next morning, and Jesus was found alive on resurrection morning. Daniel prospered in the end, and Christ was exalted. Daniel provided hope to the Judean exiles of his day to remain faithful to God, and Jesus provides us hope to remain faithful to God as we live as exiles in this world today. And finally, our God is a living God who is able to deliver us from the power of death, those who have placed their faith in Him. And so Daniel would be an example for his people to remain faithful to God despite any conflict between the laws of the, uh, laws of the land and the laws of God. And may we be encouraged to remain faithful and continue to trust God in this secular world which we live in. Would you pray with me, please?